It's time for real discussions about health. Hi, I'm Dr. Randy Michaud of Total Body Wellness Clinic, and each week on Restore the Real, I'll sit down with a guest to discuss how developing or overcoming health challenges has shaped the way that they live their lives, what they've learned, what they've changed, and how they're moving forward. Restore the Real is a podcast that is unafraid and unapologetic when it comes to getting honest about the nuances of health and wellness, mind, body, and spirit. Welcome to the show. This is Randy Michaud. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Restore the Real. What does it mean? Why? When I first told my kids, hey, I'm starting a podcast, it's going to be called Restore the Real. My son was like, uh, the real what? I'm like, what do you mean the real what? Restore the real. He's like, yeah, restore the real what? And I said, exactly. And he looked at me like, you got to be kidding. Like, what does that even mean? So words are important, right? The word restore, what does it mean? It means to like to, to return to a former condition or to return to an original condition. And then the word real Real means it's not imagined, it's not artificial, but it's genuine. It's real. It is tangible. It is actually existing, right? So when I think of restore the real, I think of bringing back the essence of me, the essence of you, the essence of people, because isn't this journey one of discovery? We're really trying to find ourselves. And some people do that it looks like effortlessly, but it's really not. There's so much work. And some people, it's like, dude, your life is really screwed up. Um, but but we're each on this path, and we're each trying to discover who we are, how we fit in, and what our purpose is. And when we find our purpose, and really that becomes everything, then life gets easier. It's when we're without a purpose, without direction, that, man, we go all over the place. And I know in my life, it's like, let's see if it sticks. I'll throw something up on the wall. Let's see if it sticks. Oh, let's try this one. Let's try this. So this podcast, I hope it, it brings genuine conversation, real conversation, discovery of how have, how have we found our purpose? How have we found who God created us to be? And how are we walking and embracing that? Because that's not an easy road, right? Purpose purpose is, is beautiful, but it's not an easy road. But I do believe that not having a purpose and not living in a purpose, if we do know it, is a much harder road. And it is literally hell. And I feel that I spent a lot of years there knowing maybe what my purpose was, but never embracing it and walking into that because I always felt I was chasing something else. So there's a quote that I love by Tony Robbins, and he says, you see, in life, lots of people know what to do, but few actually do what they know. Right? How many people do you say, oh yeah, I know that? Or if I tell my kids something or someone else says something to me, I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. But, but do I? So again, the quote, you see, in life, lots of people know what to do, but few actually do what they know. Knowing is not enough. You must take action. And action is the key, right? How do we find purpose? How do we, how do we find the real? We take action. A lot of my life, I didn't take action, right? I was afraid to take it. I was afraid of maybe what my purpose was. It was too big. What if I fail? What if I don't accomplish it? What if I see all this 
but it never happens. And, and I think that scared me and held me back because of things that I believed about myself that weren't true. They were perceptions, but that perception became reality. And so I, I stopped creating. And I'm not an artist, right? I'm not an artist in the sense of, of painting and drawing and music, but we're all artists in a certain way that we are all painting this tapestry of our life. But I was afraid to create because what if people don't like it? What if it's not accepted? What ifs, what ifs, what if, what if? And man, there were a lot of sleepless nights rehashing in my mind, what if it works? What if it doesn't? That created a lot of stress. If you felt that, raise your hand. Not that you're in the room or anything, right? But all of us have. So it really wasn't until I'd say the past five years that I've really taken major action. And a lot of this started when my dad died. Right, so I've told this story on different uh, different occasions, but and I was pretty darn judgmental before this, and there had been moments in my life where where I saw that, but I I didn't change it because there was insecurity and there was lack of love. If I love, if I open up, then how is that going to be viewed? And that was one of my gifts was to to love, to see people, to really to see who they are. I've always had that gift. I've never really felt like I was empathic to the sense that I took their pain upon me or I felt their pain, but I've always been able to see people in a way of, wow, here are your gifts, here are your talents, yet afraid to share my own because what will that, what, how will I be perceived? I thought I had to chase other gifts that people had because they had success because they had the riches or the fame or the big business or the big practice. And and so instead of focusing on my own gifts, it was, well, how can I get that, right? And I think a lot of us chase that. A lot of us try to do that until we get so fed up with it and have like a midlife crisis or a crisis in life. And then all of a sudden it changes and now we're doing what we love, but then we can blow stuff up because now we really don't have purpose. So this quote has really helped me a lot. And in the part, you must take action, was key. So my dad in 2014 passed away of cancer. Um, I remember, so my dad was former Marine and always had this fire in his eyes, right? He was going to conquer everything that he set out. If he hadn't exercised for months, the way he was going to re-engage in exercise was to go to a 50-mile bike ride. And then you know, he might be laid up for the next two weeks, but he did that 50-mile bike ride, and then he'd go and do it again. And you know, it was crazy to watch him do that. And so he was this, he could conquer anything. And then I remember July 15th, 14th, the day before uh, my birthday, he came into my office in Virginia, and that, that fire was gone. I knew that I knew he had cancer. It wasn't it wasn't any like, oh my gosh, like wow, you have cancer. I think I had seen this coming for years, but he was in denial of it. And I think I was too, in part, because it's like he's my dad. He's he's Marine. He, he can't. This isn't gonna gonna end him. Um and he was in my office and I remember him saying I was I'm gonna fight this, but in his eyes, he was defeated. And, and that's probably one of the most striking 
memories I have in life of, of seeing that candle, that flame put out. But the change that occurred in me was massive because he and I did not have a good relationship. There were a lot of things that had torn that down, broken that apart. Um, and, and it was not good. I wouldn't talk to him about anything that was important to me. Um, I even remember, you know, going to baseball games, inviting my sister and I intentionally didn't invite him. Right. We went to the Marine Corps, um, museum. I didn't invite him. I didn't want to be around him. And, and that was so hard. And now he's diagnosed with cancer and we knew it was bad. I didn't realize how fast it was going to take him. He had the diagnosis. Now the cancer was there long before, but he had the official diagnosis July 14th, 15th, and then he died September 30th, the same year. And and I remember in that space, there was a lot of healing that took place, a lot of growth on my part, a lot of seeing my dad in a different light and having compassion on him and being able to love again, which I hadn't loved him in a long time. And and then have you ever you ever noticed when someone passes away, you all of a sudden learn so much about their life and you're like, dude, I wish I had known about this about him before he passed, right? We had that with grandparents, with grandma, grandpa, they passed away and you learn all this amazing stuff. And you're like, dude, that was a story worth telling. Why didn't we know that? And so shortly after my dad died, he was adopted when he was young and his last name was changed. And I felt this urge to find his biological family. Like it was such a burning in my soul to find them. And they weren't far. They were all in Baltimore, Maryland. I was in Northern Virginia. And it was such a, like a beautiful reunion. I felt so connected to them. And I learned things about my dad's uh, growing up that it put perspective on so many things. And it gave understanding to who he was and the way that he saw life and his perception of people and his perception of what love was and then how he raised us and and what he thought love was and what he felt we needed and how to show that love. And all of a sudden, like these memories come back and and it was really painful to know that we missed so many opportunities to communicate on a different level because of the paradigm that we saw life out of. And, and also at that time, I, I recognized in, in practice, I'm, I was, I'm a chiropractor, I realized that, wow, you don't know nearly what you think you know, right? You don't know what you don't know. And sometimes we think we know a lot but then we begin to realize, I really don't know anything. And it took me down a whole new pathway of trying to understand what health really is and how it's not just physiology, it's not just biology, it's spirituality. It's the emotional self, the soul self, the, the physical self, and all those are wrapped into one and they all inform the other. And it's this beautiful harmony or not based on what 
our life experiences is. And so I went down this rabbit hole and I found myself very quickly meeting people that were super influential in my life. And it caused me to completely then close my practice and uproot my family and sight unseen move to Idaho, right? Boise, Idaho area. And, and that was like major, major faith challenge, right? Um, you know, you look at, at Moses parting the Red Sea and telling the people, okay, let's, we're going to walk. And you're looking at the walls of the Red Sea like, you got to be kidding. Like, we're going to walk across this? Uh, what if it collapses? What if it doesn't work? Um, so many examples of, of faith in the Bible that, that it took one step. It took one action. And this is what Tony was trying to say. We must take action. I knew that I needed to move on. I knew I needed to change. But there was this fear of what if. But then it became so strong and so powerful that I began sabotaging myself, sabotaging my practice, sabotaging other things. And then we had to move, right? And and these aren't things that I've shared with many people, but um, you know, I, I I loved people that I that I that I helped. I loved people that I worked with, but as a business owner, there was a lot of self sabotage going on because of fear and because I was not living according to my purpose, and I was trying to do things that would bring in money to the clinic, but really didn't serve me. That that there was not that that purpose wasn't there. So we moved to Idaho and moved into the greatest opportunity ever for me to grow and really magnify my gifts and talents and really come into my purpose, which which is a healer. I, I see people, right? You know what's so cool is when we start to get out of our own way and we accept what God has put in our path and view it as a gift instead of a curse and look at our problems as opportunities to grow, it's really quite fascinating what changes and the experiences that we then begin to have. And a couple of things that that got me to that point where I had to move, and this was important, there were, there were three times in my life that I've really reached out and asked people in my life to pray for me. It's hard to, it's easy to give. It's hard to ask, right? I don't know how you feel about that, but I find that a lot of people, it's so easy to give. And yet when they need help, they don't reach out and they don't ask. And so we sit in silence and we suffer. But if we weren't giving, then those people that were sitting in silence or needed help wouldn't get help. And so it it does come back around. And I remember one experience where we were at a, I was at a camp out with my daughter and there was an individual that I wanted him to, to pray for me. And I was so afraid to ask him. So we had the camp out and people were leaving and I'm sticking around. And I stuck around for three hours until every single person left until it's just him at his house. And he's like, Randy, what's up? What's going on? And and I said, Norm, um, I need you to pray with me. And in our faith tradition, we call that, we call it giving a blessing. And he's like, sure. And and I, I don't remember the words. There's a couple of things I do remember. But the outpouring of love was so immense 
And the love that I felt from God during that time was just beautiful and amazing. But he gave me some very specific direction. And one of that was to specifically read the, read the New Testament, specifically the Gospels. And I thought, well, I've read them before, but I, I will. And what I learned during that time was how Jesus ministered to the people. He saw who they were. He knew who they were. And he loved them as they were. And then in loving them as they were, it enabled them to become who he knew they could be. And as I read the New Testament, I didn't really see that until I got through it. And maybe several months later, maybe it was, maybe I'm still recognizing that. But how beautiful that is that as we see people as they are, that we can love and appreciate the journey they're on and the actions the things that they are are doing, it's it's because of their story. It's part of their story, their growth process. And that no matter what it looks like, Jesus is walking with them in the harshest conditions, in the most beautiful conditions. And it's their opportunities then for us to love and to support and to reach out and opportunities for us to grow as well and grow in love. And so you know, as I, as I, as I experienced this, my own practice began to change. Still in Virginia, but I felt called to something greater. And again, this is one of the things that led me out here. But even in that process, there was so much pain during that transition year before when when we knew we had to move, to when we did move. Oh, I think I put my kids through hell, literally, because we told them we're moving, and then now they're in this limbo of are we going to move? What, what, what's happening? Um, why are we moving? What's going on with dad? What, you know, what's, what's up? It was literally hell for them and a lot of trauma. And I think we've worked through some of that, but some of them are probably still suffering through that um, or dealing with that on their, on their own and in their own different ways. And I remember going to another friend and, and asking again to have, for him to pray with me, another blessing. And again, the outpouring of love was so immense. And feeling this love from Jesus, from God, was incredible. And it really helped me have clarity on this direction that I'm going is, is the right thing. And I remember shortly after that, I, I watched this video called Wrong Roads. And it was, uh, it was a, a man named Jeffrey Holland. And he, he said he and his dad were going down this path. And they had gone out fishing and then on the way back, they came to a fork in the road, and they didn't remember which way to go. And so they prayed and thought about it, and the son was like, Dad, I feel this is the direction we need to go. And so they did. They drove down the road maybe 500 yards, and it was a dead end. Turned around, drove back. On the way back, the boy was like, Dad, we prayed. We, we felt like God told us to go this way. Why, why would we lead the wrong way? And the counsel given to the son was sometimes... God lets us go down this quote-unquote wrong road for just a little bit, just to help us recognize that the path that we need to go on is absolutely the right path, but it's going to be hard. It may even be treacherous. You're going to be pushed. You're going to be pulled. You're going to be stretched to your limits. And if you didn't know it was absolutely the right path to go on, you would turn around and go back thinking that the other way was the right way. And I remember listening to this, and I just started bawling. 
because I was going down a different path that I felt was the right one, but nothing was working. Everything was going wrong. Everything was was not how it should be. And and then all of a sudden it opened up. This is where you're supposed to move. It is Boise, Idaho. It's not this other place where you thought out west where you could still do some of this work. It was Boise, Idaho. And everything began to then unfold. It still wasn't easy. It was still hell for my family. But then there was more direction given. And again, this restoring of the real, it was restoring trust. It was restoring to me everything that was within me, my gifts, my talents, restoring who God intended me to be because as I trusted, I had to use more of my gifts and talents, seeing people, being able to love, have compassion for others. And that's opened up so many doors since since this move has happened. So it's been five years from that. And there's been so many amazing things that have happened. One of the other quotes, you'll find that, that I do, I love Tony Robbins. I, I, he's been so influential in my life over the past few years. And one of the other things that he says is, it is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. Again, decisions, and what I always found, I have another coach that he would say, you know, how long does it take to make a decision? And I remember like, man, I could hear six months, four months. He's like, in an instant. I'm like, no, man, this decision to move, it's like taking forever. He's like, no, when did you decide? And I remember telling him, he's like, did that take you months or was that? I said, yeah, it's like thinking about it. He's like, no, no. You were thinking about it for months, but the decision came in an instant. And it, I didn't realize that at the time. I didn't recognize that, but I'm like, oh my gosh, now I, I see that we can make these decisions in a moment. And maybe they're the wrong decision. Maybe it's the right decision, but we get to learn, we get to grow, we get to experience. And it's not failure as long as we do learn from it and keep going. So as we, as we engage in restoring the real, we learn about experience. We see, we hear stories. We hear about the, the, the challenges and the trials in life. And oftentimes, you know, what we see on social media or what we see people on business is, is wow, they are like an instant success. What do they do? You know, I want to do this in like the next six months. And yet what we don't see is that it's taken 5, 10, 15, 20 years, sometimes their whole life to become that person that we now see. And we don't appreciate the backstory behind that. But it's in that backstory and the clues that they leave that helps us recognize what it takes. And then as we apply those clues and act, I think we get deeper into ourselves and we see what's most important. We see what we truly want. And we start to peel these layers back and recognize, well, what I thought I wanted was so superficial. And what I really want is so much deeper and so much more fulfilling. And it's not just going to bring fleeting happiness, but it's going to bring true joy. Joy, It's going to help me and my family, my community, and, and just multitudes of people. And so life truly is a gift, and it is a blessing. And I love the realness of it. I love the authenticity that many people in this space that I work in bring, though it's really hard to share some of these stories of just chronic health conditions and trauma and and opening up and, and having someone to trust can be so challenging, but I love that space. 
I used to shy away from that. I used to not want to engage in that because who am I to, to help this individual? But as I listen and hear, it's so amazing how questions or the love or that sense just comes and you can sit with that person and help helps them know that, that you hear them and that you love them. And there's a realness to that and a connection and a fulfillment that comes that it doesn't come from anywhere else. So I'm excited to engage um, in this podcast with you guys. Uh, again, I'm grateful that, that you're listening. Again, to wrap up, who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of heavenly parents. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a chiropractor. I'm a coach. I'm an endurance athlete. I'm all of those things and probably more things that I'm not saying. And I can hold each of those and recognize that they're each part of who I am and they make me who I am. And there's a realness about each of those and they all interact and they all inform each other and are informed by each other. So yeah, so thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And welcome to Restore the Real. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Restore the Real Podcast. This show is supported and informed by not only my own deep personal work, but also the deep healing work that we offer our patients here at Total Body Wellness Clinic. In the show notes below, you'll find all the links that you'll need to hop on a discovery call with our team for some one-to-one -one support, follow along on social media, or even learn about some of our favorite recommendations and products. Until next time, keep it real.